there's definitely massive markets in this in the big expensive cities, but the every city has demand for roommate living. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Johnny Wolf. Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, awesome. Nice to stay in, in, in sunny San Diego. Sunny San Diego. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure it's a little warmer there than here. I mean, uh, you know, Minnesota, so a couple degrees colder, but yeah, probably, probably pretty close, you know, hop, hop to the beach, uh, you know, in another, uh, well, I guess you got to hit a plane first, but you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't take that long to get to San Diego. So a little bit about Johnny, <clears throat> he is the CEO and founder of Homeroom, which is one of the fastest growing real estate investment platforms in the U.S. Uh, after starting his career as a financial analyst in Silicon Valley, he relocated to Austin, Texas to pursue, pursue full-time real estate investing and had a had a great, uh, well, maybe terrible uh, Craigslist roommate experience in 2017. And uh, there he realized there was a massive untapped potential of multi-tenant co-living real estate investing. And that's how Homeroom was born. So now Homeroom houses over 600 residents uh, in 120 homes across 31 cities and uh, growing quickly. So Johnny, without, with that said, um, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more, you know, maybe dive into the story um, and then we can talk about this Homeroom. Yeah, sure. Um, to kind of, yeah, just a little bit more color on uh, that so I was living in San Francisco in a roommate house that's in San Francisco that's pretty much how you know like 80 percent of people live they have pretty good jobs but they you know rent is crazy and buying a house is nearly impossible so lived in a roommate house for five years and ran it when I moved out then I decided like you know I'm ready to increase my real estate investing footprint I had bought out of state uh, for a number of years before that and so bought a couple houses in Austin Texas decided I would run them the same way I'd run the properties that I was running in San Francisco. Um, and so I rented out each room separately and was able to get, you know, 25, 30, 50% more rent in the same house. And I, you know, after a couple of years, my returns were really good. Um, and buying in 2015 was a generally a good time to buy in Austin as well. And my uh, friends of mine were pretty jealous and wanted to invest how I was investing um, but there was no way th for them to do so. So I thought I, I thought I saw a big opportunity to help investors make more money and provide really affordable housing um, to tenants. So started homeroom in 2018 in Kansas City. Um, since then, we were now over you know over a thousand rooms, uh, growing pretty rapidly. Uh, we're in ten different metros throughout the United States. Uh, biggest subset is in Texas currently, since that's where we started. Uh, we're also in the Midwest and uh, Indianapolis and Kansas City, um, <laughs> Pittsburgh, and uh, and also some Florida, and and, and Georgia. So yeah, yeah. I would so that's that's kind of a, yeah. I would I would have I would have guessed you to be in really expensive cities, not 
Kansas City and Indianapolis and you know some of those cities. I would have guessed that that San Francisco, like you said, like most people just live with roommates in San Francisco because it's so freaking expensive there. So I would have expected you to be in San Francisco, LA, New York City, those markets. What makes uh, like an Indianapolis, for instance, successful versus a New York City, or maybe both would be successful? I'm not sure what. Yeah, you know, the way we look at it is that both would be successful. There's certainly more dense roommate demand in more expensive markets than yeah. there would be in Kansas City. Uh, we see a lot more density of demand in Austin than we do in San Antonio, for example. Um, hot markets, big markets that are growing rapidly, that have a lot of price challenges for people to live. There's a decent chunk of the population that's living with roommates not by choice they have to but there's there's still a number of people even in kansas city where we we really had our biggest initial market we we baited and we started in austin with experiments but we really had 30 homes in in kansas city before anything else it's still 30 to 40 to 50 percent cheaper for a tenant to live in a room and so some people Mm -hmm. want to save to buy a house some people like the community aspect of living with roommates Um, there's a lot of different reasons. Some people don't want to like, you know, manage a house by themselves. And, you know, it's nice to have, you know, shared furniture and not to worry about that stuff. So there's a lot of reasons people live with roommates. It's always cheaper regardless of the market. And so sometimes people would just prefer not to spend that much of their, their paycheck on housing. And so we, we've had a number of tenants that they'll live with us in Kansas city. They'll they'll turn around and buy after saving for a couple of years. So that's the kind of stuff that we're really excited about. So there's definitely massive markets in this in the big expensive cities, but the every city has demand for roommate living. Yeah. Is it the the location? Is it uh, more geared towards urban or have you seen success in suburban or rural or is it uh, really geared towards urban? Um, suburban and urban both work. Uh, rural, not so much. There has to be a little bit more density in population than kind of rural. We found that, you know, we have a pretty decent sized um, portfolio in our Latha, Kansas, which is like 45 minutes out of Kansas City. So definitely good demand in suburbs. Um, and uh, yeah, but rural is, is a bit trickier. So we, we, sure. we stay away from that. Yeah. Um, and your, your key demographic, I mean, is, do you have, is it mostly younger people that are the, the resident profile or do you have, you know, kind of, I don't know, your, your older demographic as well? We initially started with, um, really targeting post-college young professionals. Um, but we, for multiple reasons, decided to open it up, right? There's people that want to save on rent all over um we found that multi you know some people in their 40s 50s 60s will live with homeroom um you know the roommates get to talk before someone moves in most of the time and so we make sure it's a good fit because that you know you're sharing a space pretty close by so you want to make sure there's some cohesion to the roommate environment um but yeah we've, we've we're pretty much equal opportunity anyone that would like to live with others is welcome to live out of homeroom so with homeroom so you know, some, somebody wants to do it. You guys have your, you guys have the properties that are already kind of set up and I'm sure they're, I'm assuming they're, fur, are they furnished or partially furnished? I'm assuming. Yeah. The common areas are furnished. Common areas are furnished. So somebody goes, somebody goes to your website and what they, they fill, they fill out a kind of questionnaire or, or like an application. And then you guys, 
do you, do you have technology that's matching them up or how, how does that work? Take me through that process. Like if I'm interested, I'm like, Hey, I want, this sounds cool. I want a roommate or roommates, right? What, what do I take me through that process? Uh, um, you know, our website is, uh, you know, is software that we built. Um, so it allows you to take a 3d tour, allows you to kind of look at the, uh, the current roommates allows you to take, uh, you know, kind of map out the area and, um, and then you can do the, you do the online application, fill out some information about your background, who you are, and then we'll take that and, um, see if you're a good fit for homeroom in general, which, you know, background, credit eviction, history, um, and income. And then we'll, we'll connect you with the roommates. We'll, it'll, our system would send a text directly to the current roommates. And so you can actually, you'll actually network with them, do a video call make sure it's a good fit. So that's, we don't have any kind of proprietary algorithm around roommate matching. We do have some attributes that each roommate has that we're tracking. Um, but we find that the, you know, the, just the actual opportunity to meet digitally is more valuable than any of those other attributes that we've, we've been tracking. Interesting. Um, you started in 2018, 2017, 2018. And obviously we had this little pandemic thing come about how did that how did like how did that play out how did that affect you um yeah it was it was weird it's weird to <laughs> right? be running it's weird for everybody but yeah it's weird having that well i mean we had a hundred roommates yeah living with each other and that that's not idea group living situation is not ideal for pandemics generally um right. yeah we were small enough that we kind of docked some of the biggest negatives one of the things we saw in the first three months is like no one moved, no one moved in or moved, no one moved out. We were at hundred yeah. percent occupancy at the time. So we were good. Um, we, we deployed some COVID protocols. If anyone had it, they were like quarantined to their room. Mm -hmm. Um, and we had like, you know, here's what you should do if, you know, we, we deployed testing protocols for the house and, and, um, for the, we have cleaning services that come through once a month. We turn them on and off, um, uh, based on like if houses had, you know, COVID inside or not. Um, you know, so everyone, everyone survived. Um, few people got COVID, not that many, surprisingly, uh, because everyone, most people were working remotely. And, you know, after the first three months, things started to, it wasn't truly normal, but it was normal. Our average uh, tenant age is 26. So it was a little bit more normal for that, that age um, than it was for kind of uh, older populations where the pandemic was a lot more deadly. And so we started to expand again. So three months pause and then really prudent, you know, kind of being careful with how we were adding new houses and the construction crews and all that. Um, our construction crews got COVID quite a bit. So that was tough. But yeah, it worked out. It worked out well. Um, it was better to, you know, a lot. there's been some studies about people that lived with others during COVID and how much better they were off because they had community versus being fully isolated. Um, also with our, you know, and so that was, it was kind of a natural pod community for people. So I, I lived in one of the houses right. at the time and, um, it was, I'm glad that I did. It was cool to have like friends <laughs> and we did like chicken wing Thursdays versus <laughs> like me staying at home on my, you know, at home in my apartment by myself, which would yeah. have been, I think really terrible. Hang out with friends through a zoom call. Right. And, uh, so you know, when I, I when I think about this, like it, it's it's kind of it's really cool, right? It's I can see the as a as an investor, I can see the return potential as a as somebody that's kind of you know um, younger. I can see why they'd be attracted to it, but 
I also can see how it could be such a freaking pain in the butt. Like, how do you, how do you uh, get, how do you get to have it to be so it's not so high management? And you know what I'm saying? Like, you got these roommates that don't know each other. Like, it, it feels like there could be a lot of infighting. It feels like there could just be you know, just, just some issues, big issues going on. So maybe a, a little bit of a management nightmare. Somebody who's like, Hey, I want to invest in this, but Ooh, is it going to be too much management intensive for me or for, for the management company? I mean, it's, it's a good concern. Um, there, there, you, when you have multiple tenants, there is more complexity. And then we add a service layer on top of it with you know we have maid service we have yard care mm. um but you know you i think the key is you know any there's nothing that's really that complicated as long as you have like the right systems in place and the right processes and the right people um things just are either on, on they're just in a different they're in a spectrum of complexity and at the top end is probably like what chat gpt is doing with artificial intelligence you know programming that stuff um, but that seems impossible, but they do it right. And I think, you know, creating systems that, you know, ensure that roommate houses are working is definitely not that hard. It's harder than a single family home. Um, it's, you know, but it's You're not also that getting much a lot more income than a single family home. Yeah. I mean, we have a, you know, complexity around roommate interactions, but we have a team that, you know, has a pretty clear, uh, we have a pretty clear member agreement slash lease. We have a pretty clear, um, you know, FAQ documentation process. We have the way that you can, we have an app, you can submit maintenance through you, you, we have a, we have escalations if there's roommates issues. So, you know, you just kind of like, you learn through trial and error, like what you can do to screw up a roommate house dynamic and what you can do to kind of keep it healthy. It's just, a, it's sort of just like keeping any ecosystem healthy. You got to make sure that you have the right controls. If things go sideways, you're you're fixing it, right? So we will we'll have our maid service provide us feedback on the cleanliness of the property. We have exterior facing video cameras that'll look mm -hmm. at the front lawn, make sure that like people aren't getting crazy and like there's not like a block party in the front yard. You know, like we don't have we don't have cameras in inside because we just think that that's privacy a little issue. bit too privacy yeah. issue. It's not the vibe we want to put off either. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just really about like okay, how do we solve this problem so it doesn't create massive challenges. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely it's definitely 10 times harder than single family property management. But if you have the right if you if you work on each problem and chunk it down, things start to get a lot easier. And I'd say like we're deep enough in it that it's you know, it's pretty it's it's working. You know, people aren't they don't come to work hating their jobs at homeroom, which is, you know, that means it's working to me. It feels like as as the scale gets larger, I'm sure there's going to be you know hiccups along the way and and pain points along the way. But it feels like, it seems like as the scale gets more, that management maybe becomes a little more more easier because you can have, I guess, more people. Quite frankly, in place to make sure that these tenant issues are getting resolved, that all that kind of stuff is is going. And has that been the case for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's. It's a sliding scale and, and as we scale, it gets yeah. easier. You get yeah. like one smart person to handle like utilities, you know, like it's much easier when you're not doing 20 things. Uh, I'd say a typical property manager has to do what, 10, 15 things. We have to do 60 things yeah. um, instead or 75. 
And um, as you're able to like give those things to more people, it does become a bit easier. As you begin to have more technology tools, it becomes easier. So it's it's all just it's all incremental. It was much harder in 2018 when it was just me in a basement. Uh, in 2019, <laughs> it's uh, a lot easier now um, that we have some software that we have really smart people that are part of the team. Um, and we've, we've kind of like learned how to do things better and better and better. So. Oh, so I'm curious. Cause I'm just trying to figure out how the business is structured. Cause you've got, you've got, you, you own properties, correct? I personally own properties that are yep. run by Homeroom, but Homeroom does not own any properties. Yeah. So, so you own some properties that are run by Homeroom and then other people own properties too that are run by so so if a listener was like this sounds really cool i want to do this i've got a perfect house right now or maybe i'm going to buy a house they could enroll in the homeroom um you know program platform, platform yeah right platform program yeah exactly we we do we see we have both types of people we have people that come to us and say hey i live in san francisco i've wanted to invest in real estate for a while i don't really know what to do though or I own a couple of properties and I want to, but I need, I want a better investment platform. Uh, both of those will buy with Homeroom. We actually have an underwriting team. We have a, that actually will figure out the right properties. Mm. We have a data science team that forecast rent prices so that when you buy the property, you're, you're the rent that we kind of like underwrite, it's going to be, you know, somewhat, you know, fairly accurate. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, a network of lenders and brokers and, uh, and agents who help purchase and we have a, we have construction in each market to do the work. So oh, we'll cool. do everything for, from a turn, essentially a turnkey perspective. Yeah. A little bit, there's a little, it's purchased and then we do the construction after. So not exactly turnkey, uh, but pretty close. And yeah. in the sense that you won't really have to do anything except for write some checks. Yeah. And then if you have a property already, we're happy to tell you if it's a good idea to do uh roommate rent by the room. And if you want to just, if you want to onboard it as is, is the homeroom property, we have like instructions um, or you can add some rooms if you want, if you want to get a bit more revenue and we'll, we'll even, we could do that for you. We could tell you how, uh, sure. but yeah, we, we have a few hundred homes and some have come through each channel um, and, and we're able to kind of tell you if it's a good idea. There's a lot of homes that it's a bad idea to rent by the room because you may not get as much rent or the areas doesn't have enough demand based on our data team. Yeah. So we really want to make sure that you're, if you're going to do this, you want to make sure it works. Right. And, and so that's, that's part of what we, we ensure as well. You got demand, obviously that's, that's a key, right. But beyond demand, what, what would make a, what would make a house not a very good fit? Um, number of things, HOA neighborhoods, they, they're not my favorite uh, in general. If you have an HOA or anyone listening, if you have an HOA, good for you. That's cool. It's they're really beautiful <laughs> neighborhoods, but, but they also are like, uh, you know, they have a lot of eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like probably, you know, it's it's a lot of eyes looking around and a lot of them don't allow for roommate housing. And so it's like a lot of regulations. And it, yeah. And then they can change their laws at any yeah. time and yeah. make it so roommate housing is illegal or not illegal, but not allowed. And then yeah. HOAs have like unilateral ability. Anyway, I can go about HOAs and what's, but we don't, we generally yeah, no, don't I can, I can get that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're like, I get it. No HOAs. <laughs> um, the other thing is we we generally are looking for enough parking, right? Because we, we want to be great neighbors. Yep. Um, yep. you know, that's part of the reason we have the exterior doorbell video doorbells. Um, and we're looking all the time, is because we we really want neighbors to be like, okay, it seems like that living situation is a little different 
but it's not making them, it's not causing my life to be any worse. And in fact, their front yard is really well kept. And so that's important. Um, I also want to make sure there's enough rent, like a two bedroom house. The room economy is different than the house economy. No one cares if a house rents for 3000 and it's a two bedroom and they're not, people don't say, Oh, the house would be 3000. I'm going to pay 1500 for rent for the room. They think in terms of our room. Yep. And so, so generally more rooms is going to get you more money. And so each city has its own rules around that. And so you have to be mindful of those regulations. And so we, we kind of like track those and we have our own strategies around talking to cities and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a, there's a lot of pieces and we're happy to kind of help people think about it if they're going to do it themselves. We do recommend using homeroom because we got really good at it and it's, it's, it's kind of a headache to do by yourself. Yeah. And that's, that's why I really like what you guys have done because it does seem like, you know, it certainly can be done by yourself, right? You, you did it by yourself. Other people do it by yourself, but it seems like a lot of the systems, a lot of the like kind of that, Hey, we've worked out some of this pain in the butt kind of kinks. We've worked that out. And so now you've got a system kind of built for you, um, which is really cool. Uh, yeah. And, and then definitely city regulations. I know in like our city, so I've got some rentals that are, you know, college rentals and you can't have, it can be four or less unrelated adults living in the the house together. So you can't have, you couldn't have five people, even if you got a five bedroom, you can't have five unrelated people living in the house together. So you, know, you got to understand that if you're all of a sudden renting and you got too many people in there, city comes yeah, by. We, we don't, we're, not, we're not a big fan of, the, we're not a big fan of those laws Yeah, <laughs> for one yeah, thing. For sure. We, we just, it doesn't seem to make, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It, it doesn't like, make sense. Yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah, it, they generally don't make a lot of sense, but the, but since when does uh, city government regulations make sense? You know, so um. uh, you know, not, not, <laughs> not a lot, not, not a lot. Yeah, not, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, we um, you know, we have strategies there too, and we um, you know, we're mindful of what's allowed and yep. what's regulated and what's enforced and all that stuff. So. Yep. Um. So. What, what, you know, is the, your generate, you said the, the average, the typical age is like 26 or so. Is that. It's a, it's actually scooted up. It was 26 during up. the pandemic. It's now in the later twenties, 29, yeah. almost 30. We're starting to get a bit older at home. We're growing up, um, I guess. Growing up a bit. So we're growing up a bit. Look at us. Um, it's beautiful to see. Um, yeah, but that's, that's really the average, you know, it's people right, right out of college most of the time. Yeah. It's not really, we're not really focused on college housing, but it is something that we, you know, we could do, I think quite easily. It's just, it would be a different service offering because college kids are a different customer than our core sure. usually is. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they're sense. a lot more, they're a lot, they're, they're a lot, they're a lot more energetic. And yeah, uh, yeah. They just someone, got someone's, someone's, mom and dad's home but, and, you know, potentially just, dis- potentially just destructive. Yeah. Sometimes they want to just let loose. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, we, don't, we don't we don't have people letting loose at homerooms. That's not our thing. But, no, uh, that's we, not your thing. Yeah, not that's, our thing. Well, take yeah. let's let's talk about the the business growth and some of the lessons you've learned through the business growth. I mean, you, you've got this startup. You started with, you know, really ultimately not much experience or, or really no experience. If you look at your background, I mean, it wasn't. It's not like you were in real estate. Um, your financial analyst. So definitely had the financial background, but not necessarily the real estate or property management background. So take, take me through some of those big, big 
kind of lessons that really could be applicable to our listeners of, you know, having a startup and, uh, you know, start basically bootstrapping your way up. Yeah. I mean, big lessons. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest lessons is, you know, when you get started and when you get going, like as, as, the the moment the the beginning time when you have to look at your opportunity and look at like the unit economics and look at like how much you'll get paid for the service and how willing people are to pay for a service is like the nice is the calm before the storm of it actually starting and i think spending a little bit more time than you want is good um i think that you know you have to balance that with people that are waiting to take action for a long period of time but i think yeah. at the very beginning you, the, the a business is a 5 10 your kind of trajectory and so spending a little bit more time being like it you know will this will, what part of this business is going to pay out what are the risk factors all that's really important a lot of um the challenges we had early is that you know some of our expectations around um everything were a bit too optimistic we didn't factor in some of the risks so we got punched in the teeth a good amount of times for a couple of years while we learned like okay we got to get a lot better we got to be more professional at this stuff um, and we, we've gotten, we, you know, we, we have, we have everything in place today, which is great, but it took a lot of painful learnings to get to the realities of life can be tough, especially in a startup where no one is doing it. No one's done it before and, or no one's show, done it successfully before. Yeah. And so you're kind of like going into this space where it seems like it's going to be awesome. And then a lot of the times it's, it, there's a lot of pain. And so it's, it's been a really valuable journey. It's been pretty amazing, but um, it, it is always, it's a big, it's a big climb. And so be prepped, make sure that you're climbing the right mountain. All that stuff's really, really important. Yeah. I think that's so important to put some in, intentional thought into how you're growing. How are you growing this? Not just today, right. But what's it going to look like in five, 10 years from now? And, and how are you growing it? A lot of, a lot of people, I mean, taking action is so important. And I talk about it all the time on the podcast is like, like you get, you can get all educated as much as you want and, 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 you know, do all the right steps. But if you don't take action, you're just not going to be successful, but it's also, you're not going to be successful if you just take action, but you don't have any of the thoughts behind it. Right. So it goes both ways. You, there's a, maybe a fine line there. Right. Yeah. I think taking action can be planning and, and evaluating yeah. and scoping. Right. Like I think there doing the work should start immediately. Don't resist doing the actual work. Right. I think like, and I think that's where, you know, the, the, the take action, um, totally, totally agree with that. But I mean, take action doesn't always mean starting the business. It can mean working really difficult, working to look at regulations, to look at, um, leasing automation. In our case, this is kind of an example is like all these things that we've learned along the way. Um, there's a chance we could have gotten there a lot faster with some, we jumped right in and learned from experience, which is good. But once you're starting to work, you have a lot less time to think. Yeah, uh, you have a lot less time. You can adapt and learn from the market economy. But like, I do think like take some time at the beginning to really do work before the business is started. I think that's very valuable. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Especially on a startup, especially like you said, if you're if you're in an industry that nobody's doing it or or nobody's done it successfully before you 
you know, to just take that time to really think about it, really put your business plan together, really understand what kind of systems and automation you need to put in place and all that kind of stuff. And you take a little bit more time and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be forever. To get a little bit more time, you're probably going to have a lot more success in the end and time yeah, to yeah. think, right? Time to think is the key. Once you start on your business, man, your head is under the water for, for several years. Uh, at least mine was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. breathe for probably four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. Um, and, um, you know, the truth is like, you can't, there's, you cannot learn any better than like an ex doing for sure. Like yeah. you, there's, it's hard to learn better than that, but you can, if you really have the discipline to look at things really, really hard and you do the work and I'm talking about like you instead of 10 hours a day, launching the business doing 10 hours a day, really working on it, preparing, yeah. thinking, strategizing, looking at, looking at holes potentially and like address those before you get started save yourself uh the trouble of exuberant optimism right like we started exuberantly optimistic in 2018 ran to a you know ran to a wall um we had to lay off a bunch of people <laughs> like pretty quickly um then i was me in a basement for a year learning mm -hmm. and putting those things together and so i would say like and now we have a team of 50 now you know now that it's team it's working really well but yeah, you know, looking back, I would have probably, if I would have started with more planning and less action, it actually would have been better, which, you know, we don't want to encourage people to not take action, but I'm just saying that action can look at, look at like planning sometimes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. You, you talk about, you, you, obviously you talked about some of the lessons, uh, but you mentioned getting punched in the teeth. What's, what's, uh, other than maybe what we've talked about, what's, what's a, you know, mistake, um, that you've made in the business and how, how have you learned from it? How can you pass that down to our listeners? Hmm. I think, you know, there's some of them are cliche, but one is like, you know, hiring great uh, is always worth the extra time I think. Yeah. And hiring really fast is almost never a good idea, even if, right. and I think that goes, especially for people in like your personal network. Right. I think there's like a, an impulse in almost everyone to be like, Oh, I know Bob from like, he does finance at, you know, Google or something like he would be perfect for my head of finance of my company. That's um, because we know each other, but that's not how you build a team, right? You don't build a team from people that you don't build a great team that way. You can build a team that way, but the great team member is the person that you're like, this is exactly what I need. Yeah, I'm going to like play with it. I'm going to get that person. I'm going to interview a bunch of people yep. and then I'm going to put them through some skills tests and get the right person. Whenever we do the, that, we get our team gets way better and our company gets a lot more fun whenever we do the other option, which is like, Oh yeah, as an advisor, we'll just slap them in here or, you know, anything like that. It, it ends up being a lot more painful because they don't know what to expect. We don't know what to expect. We haven't vetted them fully. We don't know what to expect from their performance. Right. So that's one of the things is build teams thoughtfully with, with a lot of like, with a lot of, um, well, yeah, forethought, I think. Do you get any daily habits that you do, uh, that you do be either you know, before you really get your day going, or maybe, maybe it's at lunchtime or before you go to bed, do you have any daily habits that you do that you really rely on? Uh, I like to get to gym, the gym in the morning. Um, that's typically my, my go-to is like, gotta get to the gym in the morning. It, it means the cool thing about the gym is like, you're walking. So you get a little movement. Um, you get out of the house cause I work at home, which yep. It's kind of cool, but also like if you're, if you just like start working in the morning, you don't get out of the house. It's just like, oh man. Yeah. Um, and then you get a little sun kind of on your drive and then you're walking to the gym. 
If you live I like in San Diego, yes. Not, if not you live if in San Diego, oh yeah. If you're Minnesota, you don't want to leave the house at all yeah. because it's tundra. Um, so, so I think you know one of my habits is move to San Diego. Um, yeah. <laughs> but and then you know I, I walk into a I, there's a store next to my gym. I get like a fresh fruits and vegetables and a lot of times like some fish that I'll eat mm-hmm. for kind of breakfast lunch. Um, and if I do that stuff, I feel pretty good. I try to take a break midday. Mm-hmm get out again get outside again yeah. um so those are, those are the main things uh, it's really about movement sun mental breaks when you know the, i'll be in meetings sometimes that i lead which is much harder than meetings that you just attend and like take notes those are i miss those meetings um you know sometimes like two or three hour four and back to back so at a certain point i start to just lose it a little bit so that's when i try to set a break for myself go out breathe you know (laughs) and um i hear you and just look yeah so even in the frozen tundra like just getting outside you know i I don't care if it's 30 below i like to get outside well maybe not when it's 30 below when it's 20 below i like to get outside just for just for a little bit and you can't stand it out there for too long was that cold but hey you just got to get outside you got to move a little bit and uh, yeah, for me, that, that does a, that does a ton. Um, all right. Cool stuff. So a couple last questions before we wrap up. Uh, what's your favorite book? Yeah. Um, I, my favorite is um, the 50th law by Robert green. Um, it's, it's a interesting collaboration between 50 cent and Robert green, which is like, if it's like it's just kind of i think that's why i liked it so much is it's just quirky and weird but the the premise is that is really um you know for thousands of years we we were really fearful of actual dangers in our lives uh or actual dangers in the environment like a lion could eat us we could freeze to death we could starve to death um that fear is like still very much inside of us and because we have no real dangers our minds cling to other fears replacing like real with yeah replacing real fear of actual death with like fear of social media likes and uh you know all these other things and so it uh, of start like of not getting a new job not launching a company of not you know walking up to a girl and asking for a phone number like we feel the same level of fear as like our ancestors felt when there was like a saber tooth kind of like roaming nearby. Right. And it's, and he, it just kind of is, it's crazy. The level of fear we have in our day-to-day lives with the amount of safety we have in our day-to-day lives. And so he just talked, it really is just talking about like, let's take, you know, bold action is something we talk about a lot, but like, it's not even that bold because there's not really that many real dangers in today's society. Um, And so it's, it kind of just reframes that. And so it's taking action because you know there's nothing to be af- really to be afraid of, is is what I is um is kind of the the premise. Yeah, fear fear can be a uh, a very powerful limiter limiting uh, limiting belief or limiting you know factor in our lives. Definitely. Um, okay, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. Yeah, I think the first one is real estate investing. <laughs> Um, I think I like, you know, buying primary residence, buying loans with buying homes with primary residence loans, I think is the most slam dunk uh, wealth building option in like the universe. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, I think it's really valuable. I think 
the approach of buying and then renting out, buying with primary residence locally and then renting that property out. Can't get much better than that. Yeah. Um, even in, you know, we're looking at maybe 12 months of properties, prices being flat or potentially down, still a great deal, right? You're still paying down the mortgage. You're still leveraging your money like 33 to one in like the best probably asset class in yep. maybe, maybe in the world, right? It's real yep. like United States real estate. Yeah. And even um, though interest rates are high, it's still cheap money, e even though they've, they've gone up, it's still cheap money. Yeah. It's still cheap. I mean, like, and uh, you know, we know that property prices will be up in five years by yeah. a lot. And yeah. you may have put in $10,000 to buy a $300,000 house because you did or did, did an FHA loan. Like it's, it's a crazy deal. Um, you know, I, I got to seven figures in net worth just by doing that in Austin for like three years. Right. So it's like Austin is uniquely a pre appreciating market, but like I would do it in Pittsburgh if I lived there. Right. I did that in Kansas yep. city. So I think that's, that's one of my big things is like the combination of the conventional loan and American real estate creates the biggest opportunity for wealth creation in the United States and the world, frankly. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, another one is you can build, you can, you, if you, um, if you combine the, your core, like everyone has expertise and experience in some areas. And if you double down on those key areas and you, you can, that's where you really can drive value. So in my case, I was really good in finance, financial analysis. I had done some of my own property management and I'd done a lot of real estate analysis. So I, I double, I, that's where I put all my time and focus and like, we were able to drive uh, in our last fundraising round. We did quite well valuation wise, just because we took our, I took my strengths and built a system around it. That meant I don't, I don't have to be that stressed every day. Cause we have a great, we have a great team in place. That's running the key aspects of the business. Love it. No. And the other, you know, the other one is, you know, balance your budget every month. Cause mm -hmm. especially when you get, to bigger things, um, you start to lose track of where your money's going. Your business's money, your personal money. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah. And it's homework. But it's yeah. it, the 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 challenge with getting when you start to get in, into any league, you have to do it. But as you get into like you graduate into different a different league, it, it gets harder, but it like it becomes almost more important because you'll start to like squander money that you didn't even realize what you were losing. Yeah, that. Oh man, yes, that that's a whole podcast in itself. I mean, it's just so it's so easy to lose sight of that. And it, money, it's it's crazy how cool, how easy it is to have money missing AR or just like just you know, there's there's so many places it can go and hide. It's a, it's amazing. And so if you're balancing your budget, if you're looking at where's the money flowing, you're gonna you're going to catch an amazing amount of stuff. Even if you have a professional bookkeeper and, and all that kind of stuff, you're going to catch an amazing amount of stuff if you're keeping your eye on it. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you, you may, and what the real value will be is like, if it's a business and you see a problem, you may be able to fix something much bigger upstream, yeah. right? You're like, okay, yeah. maybe the way that we even have this set up is completely wrong and we need to fix this because we're not collecting the money that we're billing. So it's not right. really a, it's not really revenue. Right. Yep. So we, we're, we do, we do monthly, we do monthly, you know, uh, PL reviews. Uh, we do weekly 
you know, rent uh, property uh, room pricing reviews. We do all these things, just check in, check in the health of the unit economics of the business. So cool. Um, all right. Well, man, uh, anything, anything else that you want to add to our listeners, anything that's on the top of your head? Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that we're kind of, we try, we're trying, I'm trying to say, we're trying to be careful with how we say this because we're really trying to build something that people win and we're not like, you know, you know, don't worry about it. Just move in and buy a bunch of real estate now. But I do think that there's some, some advantages to buying in this part, part of the market. Right. And, and I would say that you have to be mindful of the exact micro market you're in. Um, but certain parts of the, the real estate market, let's say in the 200 to $300,000 range have shown very, a lot of resilience to price. Like it has, we have not seen prices going down. But what we have seen is the competition has like cleared out. And so I, we don't have a crystal ball. Could prices even in that like Kansas City, you know, Midwest uh, go down? Yes. But do we think it'll go down double digits? Probably not. Right. And what we certainly are seeing is you can buy properties at list now. So a year ago, people were buying at 20, 30, 40%, 40,000 yeah. above list. And Austin was yeah. 100,000 above list. And when you run the when you run like the the numbers on that deal, that out of pocket that you're throwing in, it just decimates your ROI because you're just because you're not leveraging your money as much. So today you can buy fully leveraged, less out of pocket, and you may see a dip in valuation, twelve to eighteen months potentially. But at that price point, I don't know if I don't really expect much. And you're gonna you're a much better place to buy today than you were a year ago. For sure. Yep. Second, the market starts going up again. We think that the competition will come back because we still have like an inventory shortage. So it's kind of like this weird thing where it's like, why would I buy an asset that's going to potentially go down a bit? It's like, well, it's a lot easier to buy now and you can yeah. buy without having to come out of pocket more. Right. Yeah. So maybe you can buy three houses instead of two and three houses instead of two at the same price point without the extra capital. Your your returns over five, 10 years, 15, 20 years, and all of our modeling is substantially better. So yeah. we think we we would if if you said, Can I should I buy now or should I buy 18 months ago? I'd say this is the best time we've seen in the last two years to buy. Um, will there be even a better time? We're not sure. But um, the second the market starts to go up again, we think that we'll have to start seeing we'll seeing prices be have to be topped again. And that that's when it in the inflection point and the deals get they look good because it's going up, but it's not as good of a return. Yeah, I get people that say, "Well, should I just wait till the interest rates go back down?" And, and the answer to me, the answer is absolutely not. Like now is the, now's a great time to buy because interest rates are high. So if you can buy a property and it cash flows, then when interest rates do go down, you can refinance. And instead of waiting till interest rates go down and then the prices go up, and now you're buying at a higher inflated price. Yeah, certainly yeah. with lower interest rates, but just refinance then if the mortgage rates go down. So, yeah, I you can't agree. Re, you, you you can't refinance the price, you know, like can't refinance can't, the price, right? Yeah, you know? it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I mean, people that bought in two thousand six, you know, they certainly had some some time where their property value was a lot less, but it went back up. And anybody who bought in two thousand six. Today, their property is worth a whole heap of a lot more money. Plus, they paid on a lot of principal debt. So, as long as they cash flowed and they kept the property, they're doing just fine. So, 
Yeah, exactly. As long as the rent and rents are stable and that we haven't seen, we have no indication of rents going down. Inflation will drive rents. Um, what's your thoughts on the the market? Do you you said two thousand six? Do you think that we're in store for something that's that looks like two thousand eight, two thousand eleven? No, I I don't think so. I mean, I, I certainly think there's a there's a possibility that we'll see some some declines, um, and po- possibly, um. You know, possibly in some markets, a decent amount, but at the same time, you know, what, when you look at just history, we haven't had a lot of times where the markets went down by more than 5%. It just hasn't happened. Just it, it t- typically doesn't happen. The last time it went down by more than 5%, obviously it was the great recession, but the time before that was the great depression. So we just don't see a lot of time where the market goes down big time. Now we did see prices drive up massively, right? They drove up 20, 30% in markets, maybe even more depending on the market you're in. So even if they went down 20%, it's still, you're still doing fine and they're going to bounce back up. And like you said, it's it's going to bounce back up. So I'm not too worried as long as you can cash flow, right? It's it's about the fundamentals still. Um, And you know what, if they go down and you've got cash flowing assets, then buy more. Like if prices go down and you got good cash flow and assets, you could go buy a bunch more, like buy everything you get your hands on. So um, I'm, I watched a lot of people. I started investing in 2008 and uh, prices were going down from 2008, 2010, 2000, you know, 2012 prices were still going down. And I watched a lot of people who said they're going to wait for the bottom and everybody that waited for the bottom didn't get in until about 2013 or 2014 when the prices were driving up really quickly. And so they got a lot less deals at that time, they bought a lot less real estate than what they could have, and they probably lost a lot of potential profits. So, yeah, I think it's consistently moving cash into the asset class you believe in, right? And, 100%. And like you, um, yeah, and, and with, with some very few exceptions. If you believe in crypto, I'm not sure because <laughs> that's not really my thing. But, um, you know, if you believe in tech stocks, probably a good time to buy, even if it keeps going down. Same with yeah. same with real estate. I agree. As long as you know, you know, as long as you pay attention, you know what you're doing and you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Right. That That's what that's what matters. If you're just going to go blindly buy a bunch of tech stocks, you're probably going to miss on a bunch of them. If you're going to go yeah. blindly buy a bunch of real estate without really putting much thought into it, you're probably going to miss on it. You know, so um, agreed. Just understand what yeah. you're buying. Yes, a hundred percent. The old Warren, you know, the old Warren Buffett adage, where he you invest invest in what you know, right? Invest in what you know. And so it, yeah, I would definitely one hundred percent agree with with that, right? If do not blindly invest in anything, and that includes co living homes, even though it sounds amazing, if you just go for it, yeah, world of yeah. pain coming for you probably. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I mean, and that's why I've asked some of those questions, like, man, it's all it sounds like it'd be a lot of work and. You know, you answered that well with just having the systems in place and understanding and having the right people in place. And, and you know, if you have that stuff in place, you're certainly mitigating your risk. There's always risk no matter what you invest in. But as long as you have the right pieces in place and the right people in place, you're going to mitigate a lot of your risk. And, and that's that's definitely a beautiful thing of what, what you've built. Uh, with that said, Johnny, how can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on and, and connect? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you can uh, take a spin uh, and look at home room at livehomeroom.com. Uh, if you want to purchase the 
co-living property or rent by the room property for awesome cash yield. Uh, you can do that at live home room dash invest and our team, uh, our guys are real estate investors themselves. Uh, they awesome. also come from like financial advisory firms. So they understand finance and real estate really, really well. Um, you can also reach me at johnny at livehomeroom.com. Um, I started by buying my own properties and renting out rooms and I learned a lot. And if you have specific questions about house hacking, that's, you know, that that's what they call it in, in the bigger pockets, uh, which is a cool name. I'm happy to give you some thoughts, you know, if you want to send me some questions, happy to help out. I think, you know, it's affordable housing solution lies in repurposing current space. Mm. It's yeah. much cheaper. It's almost impossible to build affordable things with new construction prices yeah. and new materials. So we have to refurb, we have to reuse and repurpose. And that's, you know, probably malls at some point. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, I think single family homes have a lot of opportunity. There's, there's like a thousand square feet per person in the United States available, but we're just not using it as efficiently as we could. So, um, that's really what we're looking to do and happy to help anyone that's wants to do that themselves. Cool. Awesome. Well, again, really appreciate it. And you have a fantastic yeah. rest of the day. Thanks, Todd. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.